going to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Well, what if what a weekend? What a weekend! I know I had to run a replay on Friday, but that was for the wedding rehearsal. Tell me about it. The wedding went off beautifully, and he was there wearing his dress jorts. Good old Southern Wood. How you doing tonight? Man, I am dynamite. You look good. That jacket and tie with those creases. How do you get those creases in those dress jorts, man? Man, I'm telling you, I surprise people from time to time. That's what, see, I have to save up. I can't just do it every day. Right. You know, I can't come in big and sexy every day. No, you got to leave them wanting more. Yeah, it's like every two or three years. Yeah. I'll just shock the world. And it's like, wow. I'm, I'm like Auburn football. Yeah. You know how, like, every 10 years we're really, really good at football? Yeah, exactly. And then we just kind of average. That's you with your looks. That's exactly no, me. I will have to say that I clean up very well. You do. You look, Joey. And there was even a woman of a certain age who walked by and went, what's up, buns? I, I was like, what in the world is, what? I, that's Maybe the workouts are paying off. Because nobody's ever like, how long do you buns? How long do you do those push-ups? Does that help? The, no, that doesn't really help the butt. Maybe the bridges. I Maybe do. I'll start doing yoga. You know, I'm also doing the weight training too. So I've been getting in a mean oh, deadlift and squats, squats and the <laughs> row machine it. and yeah, all sorts of stuff. Which I am sore right now, sore from the whole weekend. I mean, well, I'm just I I think I am going to. Have I'm going to get some divorce lawyers to draw papers to divorce me from alcohol, unless it's like two beers or less. I don't. I can't. I'm not joking. Like I think I'm done with it. I know everybody says that after a bad night with it, but man, I can't recover like I used to. And I guess this is, does this happen when you get older? Because it was you get over like the normal hangover things no. of like a headache and blah blah blah. But, like, I have, like, my body feels weird even after those subside. Like, my nerves aren't firing the correct way. Um, Synapses are a little slower. Yeah, yeah that, that's probably tolerance because you've been off of it, that, you maybe know, that's it. Yeah. for so long. Because I don't, I don't drink often. I and, just, you know. and, and that's a, a danger, I think, uh, I, well, a danger, ever how you want to look at it with, with alcohol is... It's just like tobacco or something. Right. If, if you get off, if if you're you know smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, and and you quit, well, if you say one night, hey, I think I'm gonna smoke cigarettes tonight. You know, mm-hmm. we're going out with my friends and we're gonna do something. Well, you buy a pack of cigarettes and you smoke that whole pack because you right subconsciously or you, you're either, still at the same level you were. Yeah. At least you think you are, right. and then you wake up the next day and you're like. <coughs> My throat's sore. I can't talk. I, and, you right. know, but... You're not used to it. I think that's me with alcohol. I'm, I do not go out and party like I used to in my early 20s. Um, I just realized I was wasting a lot of money. I'm not really missing much of anything. And, man, it makes me feel bad. And it's more than just physically. Like, it truly is a downer in the sense, like, psychologically, I, I feel depressed the next day. I don't like the feeling. I feel guilty for no reason, even if I didn't do anything. So I think I'm just keep putting the alcohol on the shelf. Maybe once in a while for a good occasion. I'll have a beer with dinner. I mean, that's not a big deal. Yeah. It's just a matter of we're going to party, man. But actually, what we call Let's in the country. Let's do shots. Let's do. Yeah. You want a drink? Yeah, tonight, right. that's a different thing than let's have a beer, let's after, have a work. beer after work. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. It's the heavy drinking that I just I don't I don't see the appeal of it. Some people can handle it. Some <laughs> people can be, really. Handle I mean, you end up not knowing where your keys are. You're right, and not knowing what you're time. doing. Yeah, exactly. 
Good Lord. I've been there and I've done that. But the ceremony with Emily and Eric was fabulous. The reception was great. They had like cheese and like a huge, you talk about meat. They just had a huge roast with this gigantic bone in the carving station. (laughs) Oh, so good. I'm going to tell them myself on this one. When when they open the doors up to the actual reception part, the pre-reception thing, y'all were still taking pictures and all. And I looked over and I was like, and I didn't have my glasses on, so it was a little bit blurry. I thought it was a turkey. (laughs) And when I looked over there at that hunk of meat, I said, that is like the biggest turkey I've ever seen. (laughs) I mean, mean, that came from the Paleozoic era. I mean, that thing was huge. It ended up being like an entire cow leg or something. Right. It was awesome. You could see the bone in it, like the big femur in it. It was was fantastic. It was the whole clod. And this is what you should do. When it's uh, like, slay the fattest calf we got, we're having a party. And when somebody gets married, you know, it grounds me. Because sometimes I get in my own head way too much, especially covering politics and theory and all this crap. And you think just following politics, the world's going to hell. But no, then you go to a great wedding like Emily and Eric's, and you just see so many people you know, people having a good time, relaxing on a Saturday morning. And I don't know. The world is all right. I I think we get... And this is a theme that I've been pushing, but I think the news is bad for you. I think the news often isn't even new. It's just the continuation of a narrative. Like, if you want to watch serialized TV, like put on old episodes of 24 or something. Watch Jack Bauer take on President Logan. Almost said too much. Day 5, season five's good. Been watching a lot of Jack Bauer. Now, see, we're, we're hooked on Game of Thrones. We just, we just That's coming up. It. In we, terms of culture, that is probably one of the things I'm looking forward to the most. Well, the, and, that, and that's what kind of upsets me right now is we're only on season three. Okay, I won't say anything. We're, I mean, we're just starting. But it, the arcs of most of all the characters, I'm not going to tell you who dies, but th- that show actually has stakes. It's one thing that you could knock, until the recent Infinity War movies, you could knock the Marvel movies on. And most superhero movies, you know the good guy's not going to die. In Game of Thrones, uh-uh. They might very well end up dead. It's a great show because of those stakes. And I will buzzkill you. Still, as of right this second, my favorite character got killed in the first season. Ned? Yeah, the King of Winterguard? Yeah, Winterfell. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. Winterfell or whatever it is. See, I don't even have the name. Ned Stark, yeah. Yeah, the Stark cat. I mean, he was yeah. the greatest, and it was like, nah, cut your head off, put it on stick. Because it's real life. Sometimes that stuff happens. Like, people you love, and you're like, no! And, like, I remember watching one particular episode. You probably haven't gotten to it. I'm not going to ruin it. But I'm watching it with a whole group of people, and the women in the group were crying and screaming, like the wailing and gnashing of teeth. This show is very effective. I think the new season starts up in April. Folks, if you haven't caught up on Game of Thrones, yeah, it's HBO. There's a lot of sex and violence, some of it gratuitous. But the storytelling and the characters are so rich. Uh, the special effects, everything is so compelling. And it's even though it's this big spectacle with dragons, all sorts of stuff, what's going to happen is really it's based in true good character work. That's always the best story. You know, the biggest spectacle on Earth. And you might enjoy it. It might be like a Transformers movie. But if you don't have really good characters, you're not going to be acclaimed in the way Game of Thrones is. And that, and and it really is, it's more than, it's it's very visually appealing watching it. I mean, it, it's 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 great with surround actors, sound and yeah, good and sound I mean, the, the actors do a great job. It's not like you know, mm-hmm. you don't think you're looking at B class actors out there performing. I mean, it's it's really done well, and it's got a great storyline, and that's something I think that I found is it it is so real that it's different than like a movie where. Like a Hallmark movie right. where, you know, the the girl and the guy always get together and everything always or ends Or a Lifetime doing... movie where the guy's cheating on her and he might also be a serial killer. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's nothing that, that always ends up right and that makes it more like real life and it makes it so much more intriguing yeah. because 
even though, yes, I, I don't think anybody has dragons. No. You know, sitting no, on their shoulders some, right now. This is a free-for-all show, by the way, tonight, folks, because not too much going on in the news. The government, partial government shutdown's over. There's going to be this three-week period where they're negotiating. We might come back to it, or Congress could do their damn job. No, that ain't going to happen. No, I I, that's, now, there's one thing I can tell you. Yeah. For sure, they're not going to do their job. Right. I mean, there's not too much going on in the news. I know there are a few things. There's a recent police shooting. Um, well, the police were shot. Five officers shot. I guess it was in Houston. Yeah, in that's Houston, what I, I just saw. I, I have not heard I just a thing about it. It came across the just wire. Happened. Yeah, it just happened. We'll find more details. I've learned, though, with anything like that, especially violent events, give it some time. Uh, before real facts start to materialize, uh, the best we know. But tonight's sort of just a free-for-all. I'm getting my bearings again. But one thing that's fascinating that I heard the other day, you think it's possible that dragons were actually real. I don't mean like, oh, fire breathing and all this stuff, but almost every culture known to man, especially ancient ones, has something like a dragon. And it makes you go... What the heck is that? There are all these common images in ancient humanity that make you step back and go, okay, what explains this? And there are some really cool explanations out there. I don't know how mm -hmm. viable they are. Uh, one is a particular type of, I think, solar event where it would look like it's raining lightning. And it like the, uh, what, the northern lights effect? Like it would be amplified to such a degree, and these this one scientist kind of came up with what would it potentially look like if you had another one of these solar events. I can't remember the name of it. I didn't expect to talk about this tonight, folks. Mm -hmm. But uh, he figured out it would probably look like this, and that image kind of looks like stick figure man with two dots above his arms spread out, and two dots are above him. And they've actually found in different cultures that never as we know, or that we know of, touched each other, these same common images. So there might have been global events that shaped ancient human culture and sort of, uh, it makes me go, could dragons be real? Yeah, that's what's on my mind tonight, folks. Could dragons have actually been real? Yeah, I, and, and I mean, me personally, and I may lose all credibility that I've ever had, if I ever had any, I think they were. Yeah. And, and the reason is... If, if you dissect it and look at it, it's not just that the the people in Northern Europe had tales of dragons. It's not just that the people in, you know, South Africa had tales of dragons. China the people in North Africa had tales of dragons. It's not just that people in the Far East, we yeah. would call it, had tales. They all had similar stories. Mm-hmm. To me, you, you have to, you have to, that, I mean, that's something that should be submitted into evidence when you're uh, thinking about it. And my one of my roommates just texted me, here's a big part of it, because I think, and Baron was actually talking about this topic last Dinosaurs week. and people. Dinosaurs, yes. Are dinosaurs actually as old as we think they are, or are they actually a little more recent? Or could have some sort of species survived? I mean, especially because when human beings start spreading around the planet... Two things happen. All your major flora and fauna start dying. And by major, I mean large. Large species of animals and large species of plants start dying off. And it's just because we use them or we compete with them for food. It's just kind of always been the process. Or they're a danger to our survival. So we kill them, yes. And that's why the knights went out to slay the dragons. And you say a fire-breathing dragon, that could have just been a very large... What we would consider these days a dinosaur that... Or maybe know, they saw the bones. Uh, maybe others have discovered the bones and been like, well, what were these things? Maybe they didn't actually see real living dragons. It's, it's a, The more science advances, the more we realize how little we know. It's amazing. Like, just take the last 200 years, how much we've learned about the world, and yet you keep coming to, you know, conclusions. It's why... You, Anybody that has this, you know, I respect the sciences, but anybody who kind of has this, you know, looking down their nose at anybody that would question prevailing science, like, well, yeah, if somebody's just throwing out, like, flat earth theory, sure. But if 
there's somebody who's actually giving you a good competing theory and new evidence comes to light that might suggest, hey, you were wrong about certain things, whether in archaeology or anthropology. I think it shows how little we know about especially ancient cultures and how advanced they were. It, that's a topic that really does fascinate me. Well, and, and gosh, I hate to get into this, but <laughs> the, you, you brought it up, your show, yeah. and you started We're it. We're just having some fun tonight. Every, every culture all over the, all over the world, I almost say United States, because, uh, but all over the world, every culture has some form of a creation story. Yes. And Almost every culture, and probably if you boiled them down into their original culture, they have a story about a great flood and someone on a boat and putting yes. the, uh, animals on a boat and saving the world from the great waters that came or ever how they put it. Yeah. And, you know, we have to remember that there was, and I, I still go back to Scripture, yeah. And then there's no written history until the time of Moses. I mean, Moses was, uh, uh, he was the guy that wrote down what had been told to him verbally since the time of Adam and had all the names of all the people and then, you know, Noah and then the flood and then after the flood, what happened? Abram was chosen and it, it moves on down and then... After they had 400 years, now you think about me telling you a story, and yeah. I'm not, dare not say I'm discounting the Holy Scriptures. Okay. But say I told you a story right now, and you told your child, and little, your child, and it yeah. went down for 400 years. I actually anticipated this, this conversation this morning. It's a weird sort of deja vu I'm having right now is that there's room for interpretation even if you don't intend it. Once it gets passed on, passed on, passed on, it might come out a little different. And that's how everything was from person to person. See, people don't understand that Abram, he was a child of the people at the Tower of Babel when God split everybody up. Abram was a, a young boy and that's when God says, from you I'll make a great nation. Mm -hmm. And then from him came Moses, and Moses scribed it down. That's another thousand years of just what is, even if you're like me, and you subscribe to the theory of what's said in Timothy, that all Scripture is God-breathed and inspired by him, and it's the right. truth, profitable for instruction and correction. Even if you're like me, if that's the exact fact, think about the other people that were there at the time that the language was, were confused. And, you know, they went out and they kept telling the same stories. Oh, yeah, it was Adam. And and so you got the creation story. And then, yes, our, our my great-grandfather, Noah, built this boat. And, yeah. and then it, it gets retarded. You know, and I don't mean that in an ugly way, but it's like the old game where you play, where you tell... Telephone, yeah. It yeah. deviates a little bit. And it's going to get messed up around the way. And maybe I'm wrong. Well, and th there's this idea, though, that there are creation stories all throughout history and different cultures. And I think it's people trying to make sense. A lot of it can be boiled down, most of them are... Somebody essentially tackles with chaos, it takes on chaos, takes on nothingness or the unknown, and they make meaning out of it. I mean, it, that really is, and I'm, I'm taking this from uh, Jordan Peterson, the psychologist. He's gotten a lot of fame and notoriety for his battles on transgender issues in Canada and compelled speech. And, you know, he also did all this interview circuit where... People were really, interviewers were really going after him, and he held his own pretty well. I actually took the time, and he has this series. It's just YouTube videos. It's about an hour and a half each, two hours each, where he's doing what he calls his biblical lectures. And so he starts from the very beginning in Genesis. He gets into Exodus, he, he, and he's like, he's approaching it. And he's explicit about this. Whether you're a believer or not, I'm approaching it through my lens that I've studied, which is sort of psychology and archetypes throughout human history. So he's kind of taking that knowledge of what human beings all around the world have come up with and sort of analyzing biblical stories that way. And it's 
fascinating, great stuff. And one thing he really pushes is that the logos, the the word creating meaning out of nothing, is, is his point, is the key to Western civilization, what makes it a little different, is doing the work of making meaning out of that nothingness, out of that chaos. Uh, it, it makes me step back and say, okay, again, if you ask me what I believe at the end of the day, we can get into ideology, politically speaking, we can get into religion, mm -hmm. but when I try to boil it down just in common sense language, I said it before, I'll say it again. The narratives we tell ourselves about our own life and the world at large are probably the most important thing you could ever do in life. And you need to be open to the idea that you're the one telling yourself that narrative. Now, it's been passed yeah, on. You're right. And it goes to your point. It could be a game of telephone that sometimes the story gets a little bit lost. So I think being open to understanding, okay, what is the story I'm telling myself? I don't want to sound like some self-help guru, but it's worked for me. Like, is the voice in your head like saying you can't do this? Oh, shy away from that. That hurts. That makes me anxious. I want to avoid those things because that's a natural inclination. But if you kind of dig deeper going, well, why is, why is my conscience, for lack of a better word, telling me to avoid these things? What is the actual story I'm telling myself and how is it shaping our, my worldview and how I interact with others? It's what I always come back to. Yeah, and I think, <clears throat> I think Joey, I, I'm... So glad you use that word, the logos, because I mean that's where the Gospel of John yep. goes. And if you look, if you break down the the New Testament scriptures, people, and I know I've done this in the past, and I've heard people ask me, and and I'm not a biblical expert, but they say, well, why don't, why don't we have four Gospels? We got we got four different people telling the same story. Now, some they, of them are a little different. They, they, yeah, <laughs> they do. They look different. And you know why they're different? There's a reason they're different. Because they all show the power of Christ himself in different manners. The book of Matthew, it, it shows Christ is the ultimate king. Yeah. It is all about tying into the Old Testament scriptures, being tied into David, the first king of Israel, and he's going to be the new king. Well, and to our, and then, to our point, each one of these you're about to go through is also meant for a particular audience. There might have been some ears that would understand tying it in more to the Old Testament and the uh, Judeo scriptures. There, and it's not that oh, they're like mm. it's not that they're honing it to always make it work. It's more like this is my worldview. I've been taught for a long time. How does I make sense of this incredible thing that happened that I'm hearing about? I, I, I can see where you're coming from. I don't necessarily agree with you 100% because I think it's so important that you understand the four attributes of Christ. Mm -hmm. He was the ultimate king, the perfect king, and that is displayed in Matthew, in Mark. He is displayed as the perfect servant. Mm -hmm. If you'll notice in Matthew, it gives his lineage. Right. From David on. Right. In Mark, there's no lineage to him. He's just the perfect servant. And and it accentuates the stories where he was a servant. Luke, he is the perfect human being because what is he? God and man. Right. And so Luke's, if you look at the genealogy in Luke, it breaks off with Mary's line because that is the humanic side of Christ right. is is when Mary came out of, because it starts with David and goes through all the kings and all that, and breaks off. And then in John, it starts with, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And That's the logo. What, yes. we, what we're being, what we read as the Word is the logos. It's the power. And the thing about Christianity, even though we can't understand it, right. it gives us the explanation. Because we learn in school, well, there was a big bang. Okay, what bang? Right. Well, we don't know what bang. <laughs> when did it bang? Well, have, you well, heard we the, think. have you heard the theory about that maybe it came out of nothing? <laughs> yeah. And nothing and can't be something because... Right. Uh, no, I mean, even as a physicist... 
which I'm not one, but I've got enough intelligence to know that for every piece of matter, there is a piece of antimatter. Right. That is the laws of physics. Right. And so, Lawrence Krauss, it's Where pretty Where is wonky. the antimatter? There's none out there. And, well, and Christ is the only one that through, if you take the entire of Judeo-Christian teachings, and, and you don't even have to be a Christian, just the Judeo teachings, that explains where it came from, and then when you get to the book of John, it says, oh, he was there in the beginning. Right. He was with him, through him, and, and without him, when nothing would have been waiting. life to everything. Yeah. And he created, everything was created through him. The Holy Spirit actually created it. But everything was created through him, and so there's at least something that ties everything together, and even if... What I believe in and my story is wrong, mm. at least it's congruent all the way through. And there's not one time in in what I believe that Christ says, yeah, but if you want to try it a different way, that'll probably work too. But and this is... every other religion drops back into that is like, you know, just be a good person and you'll get there. But this is actually making me think about the weekend. Um not necessarily what in what is the correct interpretation of scripture or anything like that. More what I'm thinking of is imagine a great event happens. Like you know a great person. Mm-hmm. It's like a big fish that movie. Like a, a great storyteller dies. And there are all these stories of all these people and they're maybe a little exaggerated especially southern storytellers um, they might be a little exaggerated I know one of them no uh, no it might be a little exaggerated at times but imagine that everybody's coming to that that casket and they're giving their account to that person they usually sometimes they match up because it's the same person but everybody gets a little piece of somebody and a different mm-hmm. perspective uh, like, if you're telling back to Game of Thrones, you're trying to tell the story of an entire, like, Earth, for lack of a better word, all these different kingdoms competing over power. You can't really tell that story, in my opinion, effectively that grabs people's attention and emotions and makes them think by doing this bird's eye view of it. Right. Like, you're God yeah, looking yeah, down yeah, and yeah, you know yeah. everything. No, you have to tell it through all sorts of different people's perspectives because it gives it a more well-rounded view of, okay, this is how everything fits together. And in fact, it could be you're looking at the same person that's doing this amazing thing and you saw something in a particular way that nobody else saw. And so when you kind of collect all the stories together, you get a more holistic picture of what's actually going on. Sure, and and, and that's part of it. It's like that child, that parent is being mean to that child over there, but the other one saw the whole thing and says, yeah, that's right. Finally, somebody that will stick up and give their young and a spanking for misbehaving. Right. And and you see that, but... Well, and also, here's what I kind of came to, and I think it's from my Catholic upbringing, but I was sort of doing some searching, because I got very depressed in, into high school, into college, and, you know, in recent years, it hasn't been so great either. I think might have been dealing with this for years, but I, I wrote something down where it's like, thinking about life, thinking about, you know, how tough it can be. Even when things are going good, supposedly, how tough it could be, it can seem kind of down. I used to think it was a sad situation, a chronic case of crash and burn. And that's why I like reading cynical writers. Like, you you know, I hear bigots out there or people that don't like certain types of people and stuff. Why not try, and I mentioned this the other night, why not try being a misanthrope where it's, what did H.L. Mencken say? Why are we, why do we have so much respect for ourselves and others when we're just a, rapidly disintegrating bag of amino acids. Like, you could look at the world that way. It's not healthy to look at the world that no, way. No, it's not. It's not. All, all we are are chemical reactions and different forces of physics. I think that's one explanation. It's not a, a good one, though. But I, I think there's. it's not a full one, is actually the way I would put it. I think so it's like, very naive yes. to think that we just accidentally ended up here and this planet happened. Well, to call it an accident, I think, is too much of a leap. Um, I used to think it was a sad situation, a chronic case of crash and burn, but now I see the truth behind this relation. Like, you can imagine, you can understand the science behind, like, exploding stars and, like, all the the process by which the solar system was made. But now I see the truth behind this relation, the stars above are ours to learn. 
wide world is ours to name because we're all players in an eternal game. We seem to have sprung from nothing, but we're here to say play, among other things. In my mind, how you get through life is this. Be interested in the names you give to things, whether in your own life or the world at large. And be willing to listen and understand other people as they come with their different perspectives. Some of those perspectives will infer- infuriate you. They will, like, question your very foundations. And I think sometimes they are mutually exclusive. If people hold tight to their interpretation, it's going to be real tough to reach them at times. But it's not just understanding and interpretation and naming things. Right. It should be confident in your interpretation. Right. And and go from there, and then you can have an actual conversation with somebody, like we're right. fixing to. Because you just said something that just that I disagree with hundred percent. Well, no, but I'll put this: it takes interpreting and learning about the world, but it also takes, I think, and understanding that we're kind of the meaning we give to the world. We're it's not just, in my opinion, given. You have to interact with it. That you're part of this process of understanding the things that are given. you got to take it a little bit, too. But then on top of that, what helps you get through the really tough times when you see the whole story play out and all of a sudden there's like the heat death of the solar system and why does it matter at all? Well, it's like, think about those moments in life when you see somebody you really love and you look them in the eye and in, in my own description of it, it's like time stops. There are moments where time plays tricks on you and what was really just a second or two feels like forever in a good way. So I, I think it's kind of out there interpreting the world, interacting with, or, or with, the, with the world, but also learning to appreciate and find that love and, and cherishing that. But now, real quick, before we hit this break, what's the thing that I I lit a fire under your back? See, I, I need... No, I don't even have time. I need to be on that side of the board where I can control the volume level. Because I would just keep on going and blow through this break. No, no. I don't, have, I don't have time to start. I wrote it down so I wouldn't okay, forget. Okay, write it down. We'll come back to this. I yeah, did not. Because ex- you just said something. Okay, I want to know what it is. That I vehemently, I vehemently disagree with. I want to know what it is. Okay. I want to know what it is. I'm but not I even going to talk to you on the break. Fine. Fine. That way but, we won't forget to say it on air. But before we hit this break. Who are we going to talk about? Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. He wants to be your full-service realtor. Well, he, can now, be your, he can be your buyer's agent if you're a first-time home buyer. There's no question when we're talking about Eddie Bader, though. But if that mean that's that's oh, founded in logic yes. and is proved. Yes, he goes above and beyond. And now if you're looking to sell your home, he'll make sure your listing gets up on all the major websites, including the Goodson Group. Dot com. He's not the type of realtor that's going to come and have you sign a contract, hammer a sign in your yard, and be done with it, and kind of wait by the phone for calls. No, he's going to get out there. all the time. He's not gonna, with Eddie Bader. going to get out there. He's going to suggest, hey, you might want to do this renovation. That'll allow for a higher price point. It'll get it off the market faster. Here's how you do a successful open house. All sorts of things, little tricks of the trade Eddie Bader has learned by changing his own life by investing in real estate and helping others buy and sell real estate. So if you're interested and you're thinking about a real estate agent, or maybe maybe you didn't even think that I could get such a good service, no, give him a call, 322-0662. Again, that number for Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group, 322-0662. Now, after the break, I'm going to figure out what I said that made Southern Wood, you know, you know, hot and bothered over here. I'm not hot and bothered. I'm just... Oh, I can sense... disagree. I can sense some anger. Give into it. Joey Clark. Southernwood. When we left mm-hmm. off in the break, I said something in my little fast and loose diatribe there. I'm trying not to preach, just saying what I 
think, and I'm prone to misspeak. No, you, I mean, you didn't misspeak, and you didn't say something I have not heard a thousand times before. Well, let's hear it. But what did I, I say I, that you vehemently disagree And I didn't with? say that I hate you, and I'll never talk to you again. But, I, but if you vi- did, it would make it a lot easier to write you off. You said that it was not... To say that we are here accidentally was not a great leap. It's no. not a leap no, to I say it, that we're here accidentally. I said it is a great leap. See, this is why conversation is so much better than arguing on the book of faces. Yeah, it is. I said, even if you don't buy any other religious creation story, I think to say, even, say you're a secular atheist and we're just here by accident. I think that is a great leap. To say it's an accident, okay. you don't have enough information to say that. Okay, all right, we're cool then. I think that's bringing a very cynical, yeah, perspective to see. This is what's great about face-to-face conversation. It's just you hear things differently. Um, but yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I thought you, I thought you said it's a great leap, not it isn't a great leap. So that's, that's it. It's a huge I, I can't. Leap, uh, I can't see how you could leap to the fact that it, even if you go by the the. The microorganisms is where we all began, Mm -hmm. and there's just a little single-celled organism. Where do those come from, right? Well, even even if I grant you that they're there, they're still out there right now. Right. They're 100% successful. What would cause them to be more successful than surviving? I mean, that's the interior thing, and it goes back to something I said. Why do we have emotions? We're the only... Things that we know of that actually have emotions. Trees don't have emotions. Cows don't have emotions. They have an internal built-in structure that causes a cow to take care of, you know, her begotten for a certain period of time. I would put it this way. We've had this conversation before. I don't think animals, uh, even developed like mammals, very similar to us, are able to reflect on their emotions in the same way we can reflect on our emotions. We can go, why did I feel that way? Mm-hmm. But I do. And we can actually go against what our emotions are telling us. And, you know, that's a very tragic thing to do, is to sort of fight against yourself or be blind to what you're feeling. And I think that's a terrible place to be. But, yeah, it does, I think, separate us, or our ability to... Not just have the feeling. I think animals all have instincts. They all, like you said with the cow, it's going to take care of the calf. But it's... If the calf's dead, they're going to walk off. Right. Who buries their dead? Human beings. And who mourns over their dead? Yeah. Well, that's the big question. I mean, there's, there's nothing else. I mean, you can look at, you know, a cow and a horse and go... You know, they're kind of similar, you know, they they look the same and they kind of treat their offspring the same. They interact the same. The males in every, I mean, and I'm sure somebody can disagree with me, but in all of the mammals, I mean, the males are nothing but sperm donors to the females. And the biggest, baddest male beats all the rest of them up. And then he gets to donate his sperm to make the, you know, the animal as strong as they can possibly be in the next generation. And we don't do that. We just look at someone and ensure we had arranged marriages in different ways that, that we have have become married and procreated, you know, over history. But we still care about people. And when someone dies... We bury our dead, and no other animal on the face of the planet, if we're all just here by accident, and I thought that's what you were saying, is that it's not, wasn't a large leap. Right. And that would just, I mean, you've got to kind of... It is a leap, because I think to look at the majesty of everything that exists and how it kind of works together, for better or for worse... Um, see the balance kind of inherit in nature, I think is, and to step back and go, oh, it's all a mistake that means nothing, I think that's projecting, a fallible mind projecting onto something they can't quite understand. I think it's way, it is too much of a leap uh, for me to buy into. Though you bringing up emotions got me thinking another direction. 
Um, and it's a famous quote by an artist, uh, Goya, I think is how it's pronounced, but fantasy abandoned by reason produces impossible monsters, yet united with her, she is the mother of the arts and the origin of their marvels. So if you can kind of take your emotions, you can kind of take your imagination and infuse it with the logos, with a sound reasoning mind, that's when you produce the best things in life. And the reason I bring this up is because of, well, one writer that I've grown to like over the years, I believe a guy named Niall Ferguson. He is taking Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to task. And, by the way, the two cute-by-half smirking responses to criticizing Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, it's like, oh, what is it, because she's young, because she's a woman? It's like, no, because she's wrong and she's getting a lot of media play. It's about yeah. it. Um, but here is what Niall Ferguson wrote today. We no longer live in a democracy. We live in an emocracy where emotions rather than majorities rule and feelings matter more than reason. The stronger your feelings, the better you are at working yourself into a fit of indignation, the more influence you have. And never use words where emojis will do. Well, that's cute, Neil, or Niall. There was a time when appeals to emotion over facts were regarded as the preserve of the populist right. This guy's a British writer, I think became American, so I think he's talking from a pretty, and he's a historian. He's talking from a big perspective, not just America, folks. But truthiness, the quality of being ideologically convenient, though not actually true, is now bipartisan. On a recent 60 Minutes, Anderson Cooper confronted freshman congresswoman and social media sensation Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez with some of her many factual errors. Her reply was that of a true emotocrat. I think, she replied, that there's a lot of people more concerned about being precisely, factually, and semantically correct than about being morally right. Now, number one, I don't think emotions getting the best of people in our democratic process is anything new. By God, no, it's not. I, mean, no. you, I don't think there's this golden age where men were men and women were women and people in an enlightened fashion voted for their great representatives in this great project of liberal democratic republic. Well, I mean, I, I, it's just nonsense. What it's about not how it works. What about even in a different manner, you look at what happened on 9-11? Well, now we need the Department of Homeland Security to keep right. us safe. Right. You know, we need the NSA to go in and, and check these people and out. Doggone it, we need Jack Bauer. Yeah. And, and yes, 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 Congressman, yes, Senator, yes, you know, President, take all my rights away from me. Because there's a ticking time bomb, a nuclear bomb about to go off. we got to take out these terrorists. That's right. Get the so, information. It, uh, it, so... I wouldn't even put the man and woman deal in there. It's not about well, that. I'm just, just being over the top. Well, I know. I understand where you were coming from because that's where we normally go. But it's just emotionally is, yeah, let's get those SOBs that knock those twin towers down. And I'm willing to give up almost anything to do that. That's an emotional response instead of a logical. Now, wait a minute. If you do that, what's going to happen Five years from now, when these guys are gone, we're still going to have, as the government, the right to do the same thing. Then we can use it for different, even maybe somewhat nefarious actions yes. against you, the public. But yeah. you just willingly gave that to us. Right. And, and no, we've, we've been spending most of the night, and this has been kind of free form. I didn't expect to talk about this. Uh, but the... Most of the night is focused around kind of the stories we tell ourselves. Some stories are, let's say, more elevated than others, more important than others. Sure. Like the Bible's more important than Game of Thrones, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you look at the political landscape, what are the stories being told? Not just right now, but have been told for the last you know, 10, 20, 30 years. And a lot of those stories, I think, are doing us a disservice in many ways. The number one is, and this is a great way to sum up the United States, a complex of fear and vaunting that 
in one breath, we're vaunting. We're like beating our chest. We're the U.S. We're the greatest nation ever on Earth because of our ideals and our ability to kick your ass with our military. And we have the world reserve currency. And look how wealthy we are. I mean, there's all that. And yet, despite all that vaunting and beating our chest, we're also at any turn of anything unexpected, we get really freaked out. We do. And I think this, I would want to bring the U.S., the way we talk about our country, down a peg, not to, definitely be proud of your country. And I'm not saying, say, oh, China's better or Russia's better, that's just stupid. But more like, hey, we can't do everything. There are, just because you voted for something and you gave all the manpower and resources, doesn't mean you're going to solve the problem. There's some problems so complex and so elusive in terms of an answer or a solution that you're on a fool's errand. And I think that is the that's the conundrum of civilization is that in the animal kingdom, it is 100% about I'm the biggest, strongest, fastest, no. or I, I hit you, you know, I'm quicker i can get in the right spot i can build the most impressive nest and do the best dance that's i can i can (laughs) certain birds catch you you know in the leg and break one of your legs you know i can beat you physically and i think the animalistic side of us because there's some of that built into us is that we are frightened very that, easily. Oh, we're not the alpha nation anymore. So if it if it takes me letting you get here, I'm on Joey. If it takes it, I'm going to give you the security code to my cell phone, and you can look at every text I've ever sent. Right. Just so I'm safe. you know. But you know, as long as everybody else does, and that way everybody will be safe. That protects that alpha thing that. You know, that desire that I believe is built into everyone. I agree. And, well, but also think about, okay, we've set up the stakes. We're the most powerful nation ever on earth. We can do anything. Which, when tempered with good reasons, is a great thing. Dream the impossible dream. Fight the unbeatable foe. These sort of, you know, quixotic, like, we can, even if we might be tilting at windmills and they're not actually dragons, we can accomplish things. That can actually be a pretty good point of view as long as you're somewhat, you know, tempered. Like, you have some balance. You could be a little nuts if you aren't tempered. But the idea is that the stakes are so high because we're so important in human history that it leads to politicians bringing up every policy they want to discuss as, like, the end-all, be-all. It's like, again, we'll go to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She is trying to put global warming climate change discussions in terms of this is a war. This is our World War II. Talking to millennials like myself, this problem is like World War II. Well, number one, no, it's not. But I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to rally me up. You're trying to evoke this great story that's been told and told and told again from all different perspectives and apply it to today. I don't buy it. Yeah. But, I mean, all sorts of things are now treated as sort of these high-stakes, life-or-death situations that are playing on people's fears and emotions and insecurities. And it didn't start... uh, Excuse me, pardon me, but it didn't start with President Trump... I think almost every political movement in the U.S. history has done this. It's now, the nature of democracy. And, and it seems like for some reason, Joey, over the last 10, 12, 15 years, that it's gone to where you can't even have a genuine conversation. You're so far to one end or the other that you you can't even bear to listen to the other side of the argument. Right, because you can't back. say as as Acacia Cortez, you can't say, "Wow, they're expecting the coldest temperatures in decades, thirty, forty years are fixing to come in through the northern United States." You can't say, "Well, you know, maybe it's not getting hotter." You have to take that and say, and, I, and I'm not blaming her for doing this, but I've heard it in the past. Say, like, "Well, global warming is getting so bad; it's getting cold." Is getting extremely cold well, that's why it was because they to, don't even say global warming anymore. That's why it's moved to climate it's climate change. change. So the ups and downs, the, the peaks and troughs. Yeah, it's because be there's so much carbon, and the ozone 
And see, that's what I grew up with, the ozone layers going away. If you walk outside, I was convinced as an 11th grader in high school, if you walked outside without SPF 80 sunscreen on, you were going to burst into flames (laughs) and die. If not, if not, you were going to burst into flames and have skin cancer and die a terrible death of melanoma. I mean, that was what was going to and happen. And it's not the sunscreen that's causing that, by the way. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> it's because the ozone layer was gone yeah. and right. changed. And that's where it gets so complicated. And they changed an entire industry. Cost the American people. I heard them talking about today it was like $3 billion it was going to cost the economy from the shutdown. And I don't know where they come up with that figure because all the money's coming back into the economy, every penny of it. Uh, but then I hear this week, there's a story, the ozone layer has replenished itself. Yeah. And like they were saying in the early 90s, is it's a periodic thinning. And it comes and goes and comes and, it, and goes. It comes back. Here's, in my opinion, our, our meta story. If it was just you and I talking about climate change or anything else, we're just sitting on some porch and we're solving all the world's problems, it's usually not going to get too heated. It might get heated in the sense of we're having fun, we're passionate, we're not actually going to get angry. But here's the political story we're told. And yes, I know we're a republic, a democratic republic, but we've been playing the democracy game for so long. What's happened is because we're the biggest, baddest nation on earth and everything we do is so important that, and you, not just the people up in charge, you are the cause of it. Democracy offers power to the masses. With power on offer, the masses come to care more about winning that power than the free expression of ideas. With winning as the goal, all novel ideas take a backseat to conformity, virtue signaling, and emotional appeals. With the rules of the bomb now set as such, only the most empty-headed or hucksterous politicians rise to the top. And finally, as this process is perfected and the democratic populace expanded, fewer and fewer ideas will matter until we have reached, well, what was that movie? Idiocracy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think now Ferguson's picking up on something about emotions more important. But uh, I think it really comes back to we're all trying to win instead of actually talk and understand one another. And that's not a good story to be telling ourselves and throwing at one another. And with that, I say good night.